All right, Revelation chapter 12, we're in a parenthetical part of Revelation, which means the chronology is not moving forward. We're just getting information about what's happening during the seven-year tribulation period. And when you get to chapter 12, I, I titled the lesson this morning, Their Characters in the Drama of Mankind. So when you get to chapter 12, it's going to talk about different characters. They're not just people because we're going to talk about the devil. But different characters in this drama that's taking place on earth and in heaven. And so, again, the, the chronology is not moving. We're out of, the, out of the seven seals that's going to be opened until the end of the tribulation and the kingdom of Christ is established. We're under the seventh seal at this point in time. We're under the seventh seal, but John has been giving information. He's been, he's been information being given to him about what's transpiring during this whole time. Uh, part of it, the end of the tribulation, part of it over history. And so um, I, I want you to understand that we're just getting an overview now in, in this chapter and probably the next in part of chapter 14. So chapter 12, and we read in verse 1 and verse 3, this word, Now a great sign appeared in heaven. That's the beginning of chapter of verse 1. And the beginning of verse 3, and another sign appeared in heaven. So you have these signs that are appearing in heaven to John. So John is seeing these signs. And the word sign means it, it is a symbolic happening. John, it, it's something that signifies, it signifies. When you, read the, when you read the Gospel of John, you have seven major signs that Jesus is the Christ. And so uh, I can remember preaching on that, and you may write, wrote books about it. There are seven major signs in the book of John. And what it is, it's proofs that Jesus is the Christ, that these major happenings or signs or, or significant events. And so here we have two signs. And the reason I want to point it out to you is that the book of Revelation is not symbolic. We dealt with that at the beginning. It's not symbolic. It is prophetic. It is, it is prophecy about things that are going to happen. And so when we read of these signs here, it doesn't just mean that they're symbols that the book itself is symbolic, but it means that in literature you use simile, you, you use different, different um, parts of language or, and structures of language. But So here, John is trying to describe what's being revealed to him over time and in this period of time. So Revelation is prophetic about events that are going to happen. Here the signs signify... Uh, reality, and even though he sees them, uh, he has to express it some way. So let's look at the first one. The first one is the sign of the woman. In chapter 12, verse 1, now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. When you read that, what does it remind you of? You, you've seen that description in, in in scripture before. Anybody want to take a shot? Huh? The nation of Israel. And we saw it in Genesis, 
Joseph had a dream. You remember in Joseph's dream, he, he, the sun and the moon bowed to him and the, tw- and the 12 stars bowed to Joseph in his dream. And you remember the interpretation of the dream is that his brothers were a little angry and his dad said to him, shall your mother and I and your brothers bow to you? And so in, in Genesis, we have the interpretation, the sun and the moon is, is, is Jacob and, and Rachel and the 12 sons, and that is the nation of Israel. They're the beginning of the nation of Israel. So when we read this here, the sign in heaven is a woman clothed with the sun, the moon on her feet, and on her head a garland of stars, and that is the nation of Israel. If you want to understand Scripture, you have to understand that the sign that God gives of His sovereignty always has been the nation of Israel, that they are what God is using to, to bring forth the gospel and has used it to bring forth Christ, and it, the nation of Israel is the sign of God's faithfulness, even though they're suffering terribly during this time, but they're going to continue to suffer terribly until they come to a place of repentance. So then we read in verse 2, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now, who is this child that Israel is going to bring forth? And we know from Scripture that it's Christ. Again, you go back to Genesis, and in chapter 3, you read that uh, when Adam and Eve fell, the Lord cursed Satan, and he said, that the woman's going to bring forth a child. You will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. So this is speaking here about the Christ. The nation of Israel is going to bring forth Christ. Here's what Paul said. You remember? I don't know if you remember when we studied Romans 9, 10, and 11, which I told you always Daniel is a key to understanding the Bible. Romans 9, 10, and 11 is a key to understanding the, the Bible as well. Paul said this about the Israelis in chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. To them, Israel, to them pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Now, we're not Jews, and unless you happen to be ethically a Jew, so we're not Jews, we're Gentiles, but we're, we're blessed through the nation of Israel bringing forth the, the Christ child. And so Jesus came through the Jewish nation. He is the promised blessing of God for the world, for the nations, including, including us. So here we have Israel. So John is seeing, here's this drama, and John's seeing the whole of it, here's the a nation of Israel, and they're going to bring forth this child. And the nation's going to bring forth this child. And what, again, there's, there's a lot of things that occur to me as we read this. But when you look at the genealogies in Matthew and the genealogy in Luke, you find that Jesus has the right to rule through his genealogy. He has the right to rule because the promise would be that it would come through the line of David, the line of Judah, Jesus fit that. He fit that on his stepfather's side, which gave him a legal right to rule. It fit that on his mother's side, which gave him the genetic right to rule. And so, even though, so, so it's proven to the nation of Israel, and they'll recognize it one day, and to us. You think, why do all those genealogies matter? 
It matters because we see the hand of God. We see the fulfilled promise of God through this genealogist. God hasn't lost track. You know what it teaches me? God knows my name, and he knows your name. And, he, and when he knows our name, our name is who we are, <clears throat> and in the Bible especially. Your, your name is your identification. It, the name of God, when we talk about the name of God, it's the, it's, it, we're imagining God as best we can. When you hear my name, you're imagining me as best you can. I hope you see me like this. <clears throat> In your imagination. Now, that would, that would take some imagination. But, but, but you understand what's taking place. Now, I've lost my train of thought. So what's taking place here? John is seeing, John is seeing this history. And then we see what happens. And and what he sees in verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven, Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, remember, we're, we're in this time of tribulation. This great trial is going on. And John's given us an explanation. The Lord is revealing through John. Here's an explanation. Here, for the, for the people reading this, and there will be people in the tribulation reading this. For, for the people who are struggling in this first century under persecution from the Roman government and from the Jews who were not converted, they, they, they needed some hope. They needed some hope that God is in control. God, God has a plan, and we're not, we're not lost without the hand of God upon our life. So here we read, there's another sign in heaven. It's really interesting, in heaven. And who is, it? who is this then? This is the great fiery red dragon. And he then described having these seven heads and ten horns. So what does that mean? Again, you go back to the book of Daniel, and you recognize what heads and horns stand for. So here, when we read this, about uh, the sign of Satan, red signifies bloodlust. And so that's just kind of what it signifies. The seven heads, the heads represent the, the powers that have existed in the world. And so there's seven. We, we know that on Daniel, there were only going to be like six major empires, four major empires. But when seven heads signifies Satan is, I'm going to interrupt myself and tell you this. Satan's the prince of the power of the air. He's the ruler of this world, is what Christ said. Okay, so he's been the ruler of this world. And when you go back and you look at the kingdoms of this world, I'm going to just enumerate them for you. It's Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the coming revived Roman Empire. So there's seven major empires that have existed in history. And... Satan has been over them. You remember again in Daniel, you remember that <clears throat> Daniel had been praying and, and the Lord sent uh, an angel to give him his answer. And when the angel came, he told David, but David, I think it was about three weeks, and, and, and the angel told David that when you began your prayer, I was sent, but Satan hindered me, or the, or the prince of, of, of Persia hindered me, until God sent Michael, the archangel, to help, and then he was allowed to come. 
So there's the, there is a prince of Persia. Who is that prince of Persia? It's probably a sub-demon that's put over Persia. So there's a, I believe there's a sub-demon over Egypt. There's a sub-demon. I think there's a sub-demon over America. Now, I don't think he's an elected official. Okay, so <clears throat> I don't think it because that's not true. There's somebody, there's somebody above them, whether whatever, uh, I start to say de- denomination they're in, whatever party they're in. So what, what we read here is that those seven heads is that Satan has had this power over the nations throughout history, and there are ten horns. So he see, John sees him as ten horns. Horns are representative of, of power. So he's, he's representative of power, and again, we know from Daniel that he's going to the Antichrist. When he, when he is empowered by Satan, he's going to control ten empires. And there's going to, the revived Roman Empire is going to be constituted of ten nations. And so this is his description. This is an overview of, of what's happening. And then we read this, and his tail, verse 4, and his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, threw them to the earth. Again, from down, you, you get, he, he takes a third of the angels in his rebellion with him. And, uh, I, and you don't think, how many angels are there? We, we read in other parts of Scripture that there are myriads of angels. There, there are myriads and myriads. We, we read already in Revelation that at one point in time, there's 200 million who are demonic spirits that are released, probably fallen angels. I'm saying probably because we don't know for sure. But probably foreign, fallen angels or demonic spirits that are released already, and that's just a portion that have been captured. There's, there's some that it's in the great abyss until we reach a point in Revelation that they rebelled in, in the time of Genesis as well, that they've been uh, in the, locked in the abyss until that time. And so how many angels are there? There are probably more than we could ever number. And in fact, we read that when they're praising God, there's an innumerable host. And so there are, you say, well, are there millions? There may be more than millions. There, there may be, you know, billions, or there may be trillions uh, of angels. So Satan takes a third of them with him and threw them down to the earth. And then we read of his passion. And the dragon stood before the woman who was Israel, who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So Satan's plan and passion has always been to destroy the plan of God. And to do that, he has to destroy Israel and destroy the coming Christ. Of Israel, if he could have destroyed Israel, he would have been able to, to. There wouldn't have been a Christ that came through Israel. God's covenant with Israel would have never been fulfilled if Satan could have destroyed Israel. Now, I'm going to read you this morning, kind of a lengthy quote from John Phillips, and and John Phillips says this about Satan's desire to destroy the nation of Israel and destroy the Christ when he comes, and he says this. I'm going to consider briefly the course of Israel's suffering. Both sacred and secular history tell the long tale. The first large-scale attempt to exterminate the Jews was made by Pharaoh. Significantly, the turning point came in Moses' life when he saw in the desert that mysterious burning bush which flamed and blazed away, but for all the crackling in the fire was not consumed. 
that bush clearly symbolized Israel, which cannot be consumed despite the ceaseless hatred of her foes, because God is in her midst. Israel cannot be assimilated into the nations, nor can she be exterminated by the nations. She's a burning bush in the wilderness, a gulf stream in the ocean of mankind. Now, listen to what he said about Israel cannot be assimilated. Assimilated means that we intermarry and our bloodstream goes away, and and so your identity gets merged with other people's identity. That's what it means. But listen to what he says. Now, this is John Phillips. The Jew today is the purest, blooded, and proudest descended people in the world. What he, the Jew, was when Tyre fell or when the temple went up in smoke, that he is today. His language, his literature, his customs are much the same. The Jew has been persistently hated and hunted by the Gentiles. Even England, during the long refuge of the downtrodden and the outlaw, did not always offer asylum to the Jew. Canute banished them all from England a thousand years ago. Edward I drove every last one of them from England's shores. In France and Germany, they were banned, they were blamed for the Black Plague and were terribly, terribly treated. The same year that Columbus discovered America, Spain drove all Jews from the kingdom. The Inquisition wreaked the cruelties upon them in the name of Christ. And then this is a quote from a Jewish writer. He said, next to the survival of the Jews, the most baffling historic phenomena is the hatred which he has repeatedly encountered among the nations of the earth. This hostility to the Jews, which goes under the name of anti-Semitism, is as old as Jewish existence. It is endemic. Like many contagious diseases, it is always with us to some degree. But under certain circumstances, it assumes endemic proportions and characteristics. It is prevalent wherever Jews reside in significantly large numbers to make their neighbors aware of their presence. The growth of anti-Semitism, Shem Wiesman, who is a Jewish writer, declares, quote, is proportionate to the number of Jews per square kilometer. And then he said this about himself and about the Jewish people. We carry the germs of anti-Semitism in our neck pack on our back. So he's saying wherever there's enough to matter, people are against them. And then John Phillips says this, and I'll end with this. In, in modern times, anti-Semitism has reached epidemic proportions indeed. In 1882, there were outbreaks of atrocities against the Jews in Russia. In France, in 1894, the Dyfus Durfus affair was an attempt to make the Jews a scapegoat for national problems and to give the French people an opportunity to oust Jews from the higher ranks of the army. In Germany, the rise of the Jews to prominent positions in the professions, industry, commerce, science, literature, and the arts gave the lie to German theories of racial superiority of the German people. And ultimately, there came Hitler in the death camps. And this is not in this, but during that time, in World War II, the U.S. refused entry, asylum, to the Jewish refugees. Did you know that? <clears throat> Ultimately, there came Hitler to the death camp. Now, the mantle of chief persecutor of the Jews is worn by the Arab states in Russia. But the end is not yet. The worst is yet to come. No wonder the, women, no wonder the woman is set forth as a figure of suffering Israel. It's really interesting to me that every newscast we watch now is what? 
it is, it is the conflict between the Arab countries and, and the Palestinians and their sympathizers and the Jewish people. There are riots. I don't know if you're watching the news at all. There are riots going on in the, in the U.S. between the Arab sympathizers and the Jewish synagogues and things are being attacked. It's even happening. I mean, it's never ceased to happen. Now, why is that? Because there is a great red fiery dragon who is against them trying to devour them. See, if he could, if he could destroy the Jewish nation even today, then there's nothing for Christ to come back to. Does it surprise you that, the, that, that not all the Arabs, I'm not going to group them together, but those who are against Israel are, are determined that they will not recognize them as a nation and they're determined to exterminate them, not just conquer them, but exterminate them. To drive them into the sea is the direct quote. Now, where does that come from? It comes from right here. And when, we, when you hear it on the news today, you recognize that this is being played out in our lifetime and every previous lifetime and, until Christ comes again and establishes his kingdom every lifetime to come. That this is God's word being worked out in our lives and in our nations. I just think it's very interesting. Satan wants to destroy the hope of salvation. And he wants to destroy the plan of God of salvation. And it's impossible to do. So, now we read in verse 5. She bore a man-child. So, we know that already. We, we know about that. We have the historical record of that. She bore a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. So, Christ is going to rule. He, he was born to rule. Okay, that's what we read here. So, the rule of Christ was rejected at his first coming. They, they re, the Jews rejected him. The world rejected him. But he is coming again, and he is going to rule. I, I believe between verse 5 and verse 6 is that you have the church age. So, read it with me. Again, she bore a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. That's the ascension after his death, burial, and resurrection, that's the ascension of Christ. He's caught up to God and his throne. And where is Jesus today? He's at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He ever lived today to make intercession for us at the right hand of the Father until he's going to come again. And then we read in verse 6, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days, or three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. So I believe between, between Christ being called up, see, John is seeing the whole panorama of history, is it not? He, he's seeing all the time from when God chose Abraham to make the Jewish nation, all the time until the end time when the Jews are caught up and, and they're protected by God in the wilderness. From, and so in between there is, is the church age. You remember, we've already read last week that when heaven was opened, the temple in heaven was opened, and you saw the Ark of the Covenant there. So now we're, what you're recognizing is that the tribulation is that about the Jewish nation. It's about the Jews becoming repentant and acknowledging Jesus as the Christ. 
the, the Gentile nations are going to suffer judgment. Again, you, Jesus gave this outline in Matthew 24 and 25 and that at the end of the tribulation, there's going to be a separation between the sheep and the goats. And he's talking about all nations and every individual out of those nations is going to appear before Christ to be judged about how they treated the Jewish people and every person is going to give an account for their own sin. So when you're going through the tribulation, that's why a lot of people think, and I remember over the years in pastoring that sometimes there'd be someone in the congregation would come to me and say, you need to warn the congregation about the fact that they're going to go through tribulation. You're not doing them a service if you don't prepare them for the tribulation. And I would say, I don't believe that we're going to go through the tribulation, so it would be wrong for me to try to prepare people to go through the tribulation. How would I prepare you anyway? Tell you to get 10 gallons of water and put it in your garage? I mean, how would I prepare you anyway? So, you know, it's probably not a bad idea today because the water might get turned off. <laughs> that's, a whole new, that's, that's a whole different thing. You know, I wish I hadn't said it. Now you're thinking about that. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to express to you. We're not going to go through the tribulation. We, we're the bride of Christ. You don't prepare for a wedding by beating up your bride. Well, at least normal people don't. You know, <clears throat> God wouldn't. Anyway, why would he do that? He gave his son to die on our behalf, and, and, and we're redeemed by his blood. We're not going to go through the tribulation. We're going to be delivered from the wrath of God. Why would the wrath of God be poured out upon the very people that he sent his son to die for. It makes no sense. Not only does it make no sense, see, that's just reasoning, it makes no sense. But biblically, we're told that we're going to be delivered from the wrath of God. So we're not going to go through the tribulation. We're not going to to be here during this time. So when we read this, is that they're delivered... During this time, the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Some people take that to mean that, okay, the church is going to be raptured in the middle of the tribulation and will be delivered in the middle of the tribulation. This is the woman. This is not the church. This is the woman identified as Israel. The church is not Israel. See, that's... If you, if you have a wrong premise, you're going to get a wrong conclusion, okay? If I have a wrong foundation and I'm standing like this, then I, if the foundation is like this and I'm standing like this, I'm trying to give you a visual, if I'm standing like this, I mean, something's skewed in my life. Now, there's a lot of things skewed in my life, but I mean, something's skewed in my life, you know, I'm just, okay? I'm, I'm going I'm to live like that. Okay, and that's just a silly illustration. But if your premise is the church is Israel today and the Israel is the church, your understanding of theology is, is skewed. You understand? Because they're separate. And so that's why we're not going through the tribulation. We are not Israel. We are the people of God and saved by the blood of Christ and we're going to be delivered. Now, any person who's ethnically a Jew and, and they, they have Jewish blood within them, During this age of grace, if they trusted Christ, they're part of the church. And when the rapture takes place, they're going to leave with us. Remember what Paul said, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free, rich nor poor, male nor female, we're one in Christ. 
So any person that gets saved at the age of grace is not going to be here during this time. Okay, and that's a key point because if you're listening, if you listen to podcasts and you read books about religion and things, there's so many people today who who believe, and some of the people I read after and quote to you that they believe that 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 the church is Israel. The church has replaced Israel. And they apply the promises to Israel, to the church, and the promises to the church, to Israel, because they think we have replaced Israel. And it's not true. That's not biblical. Okay. Whether you agree with me or not, I hope you got my point. Because that's a a fundamental distinction that you have to make when you're reading Scripture. So she bare Malchai, verse 5, verse 6, she flees into the wilderness. Jesus gave us that in Matthew chapter 24. He, he said, you know, when you see the, designate, the, the desolation of abomination, flee, don't go back to your house, flee into the wilderness. Hope you're not wintertime, hope it's not preg- you're not pregnant. Flee into the wilderness. And God protects them there. He protects them supernaturally in the wilderness. You say, where, how does he do that? The same way he did the nation of Israel in the desert. He, he provides water, he provides manna, he does it however, he's God. He does it however he pleases. And he, he's going to do it. And why is he going to do it? He's going to do it because he, he's, going to, he's going to keep them alive, he's going to keep them redeemed because they're part of his plan throughout eternity. In the millennial kingdom, I'm jumping to the end now, which is not here. But when the tribulation is over and there is the judgment of the nations, every saved person who's still alive on earth, and I believe there are going to be many, I believe there are going to be many people who repent during the tribulation, and every saved person goes into the millennial kingdom. And for a thousand years, Christ is going to rule and reign. We read in verse 2 with a, with a rod of iron. He's going to rule, which doesn't mean he's cruel, but it means he is just and justice is swift. It means that justice is firm and it's equitable because he's Christ, but it means that it is immediate. Today, God overlooked, we're not held accountable immediately. Thank the Lord. But, but at that point, there will be accountability. So there will be peace on earth and be great prosperity. Sin is going to be minimized. The curse upon the earth is going to be minimized. It's going to be a great prosperous time, and Jesus is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem over the nation of Israel and over the nation of all the Gentiles, and the world and history will record that God kept his covenant with the nation of Israel. See, the the promise is that that's going to happen, and it has never happened yet, and that's why our world, and and even in our day, so many people, even theologians, they, they, they... Poop all that and say that's that's just you know that's just talk in the Old Testament and that's for then and today's for today and that's never going to happen. God does not lie and and God's not a man that He doesn't keep His word. That is going to happen and the world will know. All of history will know. Every created being that's ever been created, demon and man alike, will know that God kept His word. And it's identified through the nation of Israel in a millennial reign of a thousand years. So Jerry, you're, you're a little passionate about that. I'm absolutely passionate about it. You know why? Because it teaches me today, God is faithful to me today. Because he told me if I put my faith in Christ 
and, and, and trust in Christ, I would be redeemed never to face judgment again. Now, I will face the penalty of the penalty that sin itself carries. If I sin today, I'm going to I'm going to be burdened with the penalty of that sin today. But I'm never going to face the wrath of God. And, and neither are you if you know Christ as your Savior. So it matters. It matters. Okay, back to our back to our text. Verse 7 and 9. And we we see. What happened? Again, John's given an overview, verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, and the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That's recorded in Daniel chapter 12. So you go all the way back to Daniel chapter 12. And this is this this is prophesied that's going to happen. Okay, Satan has had access to Christ. He's the accuser of the brethren. Satan, during all this time, from the time that he fell into sin, which I believe was before the creation of the earth, I believe before the Garden of Eden, Satan is a rebel. And it, he fell, and he has those who fell with him, angels who fell with him, but he's had access to God. And during all this time, today he's accusing me and you before God. He's saying, they may say they believe in Christ, but look how they behave. Look how they think. Look how they lust. Look how, they, uh, look how they're, they're resentful or envious or proud. Or See, again, they're not really your children. They're not really trusting in you. They're behaving like they always have. And, and he's the accuser of the brethren today. He's accusing you. I was thinking about that this morning, and I was thinking that you remember over, I think, I think I can't remember where, and I didn't look it up because I didn't have time before we came. But sometimes when you're counseling people, you say that you, 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 you pray together with your spouse, you keep together, unless you give the devil an advantage. Anybody remember where that's found exactly? But, you know, what happens is that if, if you don't have your heart right toward God and toward those in your life, you give the devil an advantage. Now, why? Because he's the accuser of the brethren. The devil's after you. He's after me. He's real. C.S. Lewis said that people make two, two equal and, and opposite opinions that are about the devil that are both wrong. And I'm not quoting him now, but I'm telling you what he said. He said the first is they, they, they don't believe he exists. And, and that's a terrible thing because he does exist. The Bible teaches he exists. And the second is they make too much of him. And they think he has too much power and they uh, think too much of him. And so today, I, I believe the devil exists. I think he's after me. But you know, the, 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 the issue is, is that if, when, when we turn to Christ and we believe in him, the devil flees from us. So he has no power in our life as a Christian that we do not surrender to him. So don't surrender anything to him. Don't obsess about the devil. But just simply, simply believe in Christ. Confess your sin. Confess your sin and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I did that. It's not, it's not, that's not the person I used to be. That's the person I am. And I did that. I'm a sinner. I felt that. I thought that. I, 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 I expressed that. And I, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. And you have made the devil flee from you. 
He accused you, but you're claiming the blood of Christ. Okay, so, so why is what, what happens during this time, this war in heaven, uh, it results with Satan being cast down? Okay, so Satan's been in heaven, he's been the accuser, but somewhere, I think, in the mid part of the tribulation, that Satan is cast out of heaven. So the access to God is gone, and, and what we're reading here is that this fiery red dragon, verse 9, was cast out. The devil had deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And you go over into verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, you dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. So now he's cast, he knows he has but a short time, and so he comes to the earth with his minions, and he has great wrath. And so, the devil has great wrath during this latter part of the tribulation. God's wrath is going to be poured out himself upon, upon the world. It's going to be a terrible, terrible time. I thought it's interesting, you know, I said to you a week or two ago that Christ blesses his followers. I'm blessed of God because I'm a follower of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about materially, I'm just talking about in my spirit. But Satan does just the opposite to his followers is that he persecutes his followers just as he does uh, those who do not follow him. So, <clears throat> when we read about this latter part of the time, he's cast out of heaven, it comes with great wrath, and a terrible, terrible time. Verse 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down, and they, our brethren, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So there's rejoicing in heaven. There's rejoicing in heaven that the plan of God is coming to fruitation. The plan of God is seen as being, being fulfilled at that point in time. So there's rejoicing in heaven. Okay, let me finish uh, before we run out of time. So go with, we already read verse 12, and now... Verse 13, uh, and, uh, and now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time, three and a half years, from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, what's happening in this latter tribulation? Remember again, Jesus gave us an outline in Matthew chapter 24, and Jesus saying, when you see the desolation of the temple, flee. So that's the midpoint of the tribulation. Satan goes, as the, as the, as the Antichrist, um, goes into the temple, declares himself God, violates the temple, and now he's going to begin a persecution of the Jews. See, the first three and a half years, there's been a, there's been a peace that he's brokered with the nation of Israel. But he's going to violate it, and then it's going to be 
great persecution against the nation of Israel. When Satan's cast down and embodies, in my opinion, embodies the Antichrist, then this great persecution happens against the nation of Israel. And God is saying, you flee to the mountains and I'm supernaturally protecting you. And, and can he do that? Of course he can. Of, of course he can. He's God. He, he supernaturally is going to he predict it in the wilderness. He did it from the nation of Israel. See, that's their history. They should know that. And he's going to protect them during that time. That the world may know that these are his people. And we read in Zechariah. You remember when we studied the minor prophets and we got to Zechariah. And Zechariah is so much about the second coming of Christ. And we read in Zechariah that the Jewish people are going to see him whom they pierced. And they're going to believe in him. They're going to acknowledge him as their Messiah. And that's going to happen during this time. It's going to happen for individual Jews up until this time. But so many of the Jewish people will acknowledge Christ as Savior, and all those who flee the wilderness will. And I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if they hear the voice of Christ. They, they hear the voice of him in Matthew chapter 24. Maybe they hear it anew for the first time. They're hearing it for these hundred, from these 144,000 who are preaching. They hear it from the two witnesses who are in the streets of Jerusalem, and, and they're going to respond to Christ, and they're going to be saved, and they're going to be physically protected until the end of the tribulation time. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't that great? You know, it's a terrible time, but God is, a, God is only bringing judgment upon people who deserve it. You remember that. The wrath of God is justified through the mercies of God. Now, that's a hard concept to grasp, but it is the mercy of God that brings wrath against the curse of sin. So don't forget that. Don't, don't demean God by saying, I don't know how I could be cruel. God is not cruel by pouring out His wrath upon the earth. So here we come to this end time. Sometimes Robert leads us in Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. See if you recognize this. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. God's going to fail him, F-E-L-L. God's going to fail him one day, and I think one day soon. And uh, glory to God. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this overview that you gave to John, that he's given to us. Father, we, we thank you that your hand is at work and that your plan has never changed, never deviated. Satan has never had an upper hand. He's always been your servant and your instrument of judgment, and Lord, we thank you for that. We, we pray that that would encourage us today and help us to uh, have an increase of our faith and seeing what's happening in our world, and Lord, how it seems to be crumbling and falling apart, and we know that you're at work, and Father, that your glory is going to be revealed soon, and let it be revealed in us today in our faith. In Christ's name we pray, amen.